So today we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, a continuation of where we were last week, and today we talk about redemption. Redemption. The great pillars, as of all these things, are in the midst of this sermon series called Foundations, great themes of the Bible, a great pillar, in fact, and a great culmination of everything after the fall of mankind, everything was coming to a, to a head, to a climax of redemption. And I love this illustration we put, we'll put it here on the screen for you, that really illustrates the biblical message here of creation. We know from Genesis chapter 1 and following, as we looked at in the midst of the the great theme of God and his creation a few weeks ago, that nothing that we see in our world is here by chance. Regardless of what the world wants to try to tell us, and regardless of what the world wants to say, of course, starting from a place of, uh, of denying that there is a God, because if we deny that there is a God, there's ultimately no one that we have to answer to. And so if, if you're left without God, an ultimate creator who spoke and created the world, who cast all things into creation, you're left with saying that all that we see, all the incredible complexity of our universe, you have to look no further than the human body, all of the, uh, the complexity of our created universe and our universe and our body itself is here just by time plus matter plus chance, right? So we take enough matter and chance and mix enough time in it, billions and billions of years, and, and it's almost enough of a kind of a buffer zone and a safety area to say, well, sure, billions of years. Time plus matter plus chance gets what we see here in our human body in all of the complexity of the world. But as I said a few weeks ago, if you can imagine, we, we would never think that uh, a, a, a tornado through a junkyard would create a 747. But that's the level of the complexity that we'd have to say if we, don't, if we don't want to adhere to the fact that there's an ultimate designer, an intelligent designer, which we know from Christian heritage is Yahweh, God himself. If we want to say that there's nothing like that, it's the same sort of odds and anomaly of saying that a tornado makes its way through a junkyard and the other side is a 747. That's the level of complexity we see in our world. So we know we're going to trust exactly what God's word says is that all of this complexity here isn't just here by chance, but it has a great designer, and that's who we know to be God. So first of all, the story of, the, of Scripture, the greatest story ever told, the truth of Scripture starts with creation. But God's creation, which he said was good, it fell into disrepair through the fall of mankind when sin entered the world. And as we see here today, as we're talking about the story of redemption and especially reconciliation, it says that the whole world is groaning, waiting for the redemption of mankind and the redemption of the world itself. And so that's what we see, not only creation, fall, that's not where the story ends. The story begins with good news of redemption through Jesus Christ. Even though through mankind, sin entered the world and the whole world fell into the great thing we know as disrepair, we know as the fall proper, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the earth, what we're talking about today, to redeem mankind and then restore all things new as we see, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, the end of days, as all things will be restored and be made new. But today we're talking about redemption proper in verses 19 through 23 of Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased the Father that in him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. That's all the fullness of the Godhead. So when we look at Jesus Christ, when we see Jesus Christ walking upon the earth, he was 100% man. And he was 100% God. A logical impossibility in our finite world, but not in the economy of God. Fully God and fully man. In him, all the fullness, you could almost extend it to say the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. And by him, 
to reconcile all things to himself. So the first hymn is Jesus Christ. So by Jesus Christ, the Father set in motion to reconcile, redeem the whole world, all things unto himself. By him, again, that's Jesus, whether things that are on earth or things in heaven, the whole scope of the cosmos, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And it says, and you, so from the cosmos, the greatness of all things created, to you, to the Colossian believers, those at Colossae, and of course, extending to all of us, mankind, and you who were once alienated, separated, and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now you have been reconciled in the body of his flesh, that's Jesus's flesh, through death to present you. We will be presented to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, If indeed, or better translated, we'll get into that in a moment, since you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which I preach to you, which I preach to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So folks, as we break this passage down, what we're going to see is this. We were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, even though we were alienated in enemies. Even though we were alienated in enemies, we were redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Since we will remain grounded and steadfast, since we will remain grounded and steadfast, we will be presented holy and blameless before the Father. So let's take a look at this very first one in verses 19 through 20. Through the blood. We're presented how? Through the blood. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. There was no reluctance at all in the Father or the Son in coming to the, coming to the earth. There was no reluctance in the Father to send his Son, no reluctance in the Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the earth knowing exactly what his mission was, was ultimately to die upon the cross, heaped upon his shoulders all the sin of mankind. There was no reluctance that in him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness should dwell. It's this really interesting word that Paul uses here in the original language for fullness because the same word that he uses is one that was almost co-opted by one of the great heresies of the day. One of the great heresies of the day, you've heard me talk about it before, was what's known as Gnosticism. You don't need to remember that word necessarily, but what you need to remember is exactly what they taught because every other false teaching about Jesus Christ is very similar. It doesn't find its root in Gnosticism. Gnosticism and every other heresy following sense and false belief about Jesus Christ finds its root in mankind and our belief that we can save ourselves. Basically, when you break it all down, it was that Jesus Christ didn't have ultimate power over sin, but we still have to achieve on our own. And even deeper rooted in that was the fact that Jesus Christ himself, they believed, was not God on earth. And really, they used the term fullness, that same original word, to speak of this sort of collection of all of these things called emanations from God. They believed that there were these special beings on earth called emanations from God. And I've talked about this before, used this illustration. I said, if you take my sermon notes here and you're going to take it to a Xerox copy machine, you can make copy number two of this, right? And then if you take copy number two and make copy number three, then you take copy number three, make copy number four, copy number four, make copy number five, so on and so on. What's going to happen eventually? 
One of the copies, the copies are going to begin to degrade in quality, no matter how good your copy machine is. And that's what the Gnostics believed about Jesus Christ, that he was one of many emanations. They believed he was special, but he was simply a copy of a copy of a copy of God. And so he had no true saving power. And again, whether the, the details are different 2,000 years from then in present day, there's still a denial when you see a false teachings about Jesus Christ. There's a denial of who he is, that he was truly God on earth, and that he truly is the only saving power in the universe. Some things never change. But Paul says, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that in him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God dwelt on earth. There was absolutely no setting aside of his essential nature or glory when he came to earth. No setting aside at all of his essential nature of, or glory when he came to earth was wrapped in flesh, incarnate. And so we see walking the earth, the true God, man, 100% God, 100% man. Why? What was his mission? His mission was redemption of mankind, the reconciliation as we see this one specific piece of redemption, but the great piece of redemption nonetheless. By him, it says later in verse 20, by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things unto himself. It's really neat as well. In the original, there, there's this intensified version of the word reconcile. And through that, Paul is getting across the idea, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that our relationship to God has completely and fundamentally changed. Completely and fundamentally changed. We're going to see in the next point, in fact, when it talks about the fact that we were alienated and enemies of God. We weren't just kind of wandering away from God. We weren't just kind of playing a game of chase with God. But it says that we were set against aliens and enemies because of the sin in our life. But here he says that all things were reconciled unto God through the work of Jesus Christ. Completely and fundamentally and forever changed especially that last part, forever. I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen. Many of you have seen this famous photo here before. You've seen this. This is, I think it's 93. This was a peace process between Israel and Palestine. Yitzhak Rabin there on the left, Yasser Arafat on the right. But as many of you know, you're saying, if you, of course, if you follow world history at all, you would know that there is no peace, there is no lasting peace between Israel and Palestine. And so this was a peace or a reconciliation process, just like any sort of reconciliation process with mankind, mankind to mankind, person to person, there is always an opportunity for it to completely and utterly fall apart. Not so with God. When we have been reconciled to God, when we have been reconciled to him through Jesus Christ, it is fundamental and forever that we've been changed. So it says, by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or whether things in heaven. Again, this cosmic to the Colossians, to the, to the Colossians, and again to all of creation, whether things in heaven or whether things on earth. All things were touched by sin. Just in the way we started, that, the story of redemption isn't just the, restore, the story of redemption of mankind, but it is redemption of the entirety of the world. Romans 8, 21 through 22 says this, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. It says not only did mankind fall into sin 
And, it's, and, and mankind's relationship with God was irreparably damaged without Jesus Christ. But all of creation, all that we see that is broken, even in the physical world, finds its origin in the fall of mankind. And all of that will be redeemed as well through the great redemption of Jesus Christ. And it says, and made peace. Not only things on earth, things in heaven are reconciled, but, but when you break it down, made peace through the blood of his cross. You see, even though we were the ones through sin were separated from God, remember we talked about sin as any thought, action, or intention that violates the moral law of God. Unless you say, unless you say, well, I don't know what that is. Remember, we see in, in Scripture those very things have been implanted upon the hearts of mankind. So any thought, action, or intention that violates the moral law of God, we have been separated from God because of that. But God is the one that comes to us and buries the hatchet. He is the one that makes peace. Hebrews 9.22 says this, in fact, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's been often criticized of Christianity by those that are looking to throw stones. Well, what is all this talk about the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ? We know that it says again here in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It speaks to the seriousness of sin. Again, those of us who, who are believers, we are humans as well. And so even though we understand in greater deal what sin is and, and, the, and the gravity of sin, we are still men and women who have lived in sin our lives. And we don't understand to the degree and the severity what sin is and how it violates the very character of God. But again, God is the one who buried the hatchet. God is the one who brought peace through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. In the midst of that passage there in Hebrews chapter 9, it is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It's about a two to three chapter section in Scripture. And it is is the writer of Hebrews, possibly Paul, that is looking back at the typology of his nation's history. The writer is looking back at the nation of Israel's history and a really important part of of the sacrificial system in their history. And he said, as important as that was, to sacrifice uh, those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices on behalf of the sin of the nation. He said all that did was simply delay the punishment that mankind deserved. Until And they looked ahead. They were a type of the anti-type, the one that looked ahead. They were pointing ahead to Jesus Christ, the one who was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And by his death and, and his, his sacrifice on the cross, we might be reconciled once and for all unto God. So through his blood, number one. Number two, we were alienated, alienated and enemies. Almost driving this point home even further, we see this in the second part of the section. Paul is almost driving this home even further so that we can understand the incredible nature, how incredibly glorious our redemption is. Verse 21 says this, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind because of wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, above blame in his sight. Again, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul does not mince words. God does not mince words here. He says you were alienated and enemies. You were estranged. You were strangers. You were outside. You were alone. It wasn't that you were just simply, hey, God, I'm kind of doing my own thing right now for this period of my life. 
But God says that truly our position before Jesus Christ, that we were alienated and we were enemies. Ephesians 2.12 says this, at that time, that is before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is speaking specifically to Gentiles, but those who are non-Jews, but really it speaks into all of mankind. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, listen to these last couple of phrases here, having no hope and without God in the world. That's our true nature before we come to faith in Christ. It's not that we're just kind of floating around on a whim. It says we were alienated and we were enemies without hope and without God in the world. But the wonderful truth of redemption is that those who were enemies have now become friends. Now become friends by nothing that we've done but everything because of what Jesus Christ has done. You were alienated in enemies in your mind because of your wicked works. Even our minds and our works reflected that. Even in our mind, our attitudes, our actions were hostile to the Lord. You know how it is? Even the world can't agree with God of exactly the true nature of mankind. You know, how many times do we hear that same old thing in in, in the midst of society? And I think they're well-intentioned by saying that the world is basically good. But you only have to peel back one or two uh, layers of that onion to figure out that the world, that mankind, people are not basically good. And in fact, we see in Jeremiah 17, 9, God tells us that the heart of man is wicked and evil above all things. But we have this really good ability as humans to say the evil in the world's kind of out there and not realize that the evil of the world is in here just by whatever, whether it be common grace and restraint of the Holy Spirit or whether it just be the fact that we've never been put in opportunities. We have a really good uh, ability to say the evil's out there, but not look inside and say that I have that exact same potential as well because my heart is rotten and wicked without Jesus Christ in your mind because of your wicked works. Yet now, yet now he has reconciled. It's so wonderful that the the great truths of Scripture almost turn upon these hinges, if you will, these hinges of really simple little words and phrases. Yet now, but now, however. So much of the great truth and the power of Scripture turns on these little hinges of these words, and we see one right here. Yet now, he has reconciled. It's not yet now you've reconciled yourself. Not yet now you've buried the hatchet and come unto God. Not yet now you have kind of come to your senses. Yet now he has reconciled a race of rebels, a race of mankind, a race of rebels has been restored and we have been restored as the very allies of God if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. How did he do it? In the body, verse 22 says, and we were reconciled, we were restored, we were redeemed in the body of his, that's Jesus Christ's flesh, through his death. Ephesians 2, 13, a continuation of a verse we just read just a moment ago. We're gonna put this one on the screen. It says, but now, again, look at one of those wonderful little short phrases. The hinges of scripture turn on this stuff. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is there any, any truth more wonderful than that? That those who are far off from God, and that is all of us, all of us who are far from God, we have been brought near, not by anything that we've done, 
but we've been brought near by Jesus Christ. We've been brought near to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. I've talked about one of my favorite verses in Scripture many times before. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you break down the meaning of that word, it, it tells us the tr- great truth of when we are reconciled to God, we are now perfect pure, holy, blameless. That's exactly the way that God sees us because he is looking at us through the lens of his son. Now, we know day to day in our lives, we still sin. We don't live holy, holy lives, although we know that is a truth for the believer in Jesus Christ. We'll reflect on that in just a few moments, that we are always progressing towards the very image of Jesus Christ. But the great eternal standing, the eternal truth of our standing before God is that when he looks at us, our sin has been wiped clean. We stand before him perfect, pure, holy, blameless. Those record of wrongs have been completely wiped clean. You know, many of us have not been in legal trouble. Maybe some of you have in in your past. But maybe you can imagine putting yourself in a courtroom and where you have a record of wrongs against you. And can you put yourself in a situation where there's an incredible record of wrongs against you that's going to mean a great deal of time uh, in a penitentiary, a great deal of time where you no longer have your freedom, and you walk in knowing that you face certain punishment for your sins, but yet you walk in, and because of the grace of the judge, your record has been wiped completely clean. That's the truth of reconciliation. That is the truth of redemption through Jesus Christ. We have a record of wrongs set against us. Contrary to what the world says about mankind, mankind is not basically good. We've been separated from God because of our sin. But we walk into the courtroom of eternity and Jesus, through the blood of Jesus Christ, the judge says, not just that they've been turned away, not just that it's been forgotten, but someone has paid your penalty. Someone has paid your penalty, and that is none other than Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, the record of your wrongs has been completely wiped clean. So not only is a great truth of this passage that we have been reconciled through the blood, even though we were number two alienated enemies, but we continue and we prove out the truth of our salvation because we are grounded and steadfast in the Lord. It says, indeed, if you continue in the faith, Now, if it's translated there is in the original language, this is important. We don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but it's important to know this. That's what's called a first-class conditional sentence. And the way it's used there in the context actually speaks completely differently to how we might use the word in our English language. There is a, it is a conditional sentence that, that's, that in its context, in its framing, tells us that there's no doubt whatsoever about the outcome. If is not an expression of doubt, but it's an expression there in the original of confidence. It'd almost be better to translate it, assuming then that you will continue steadfast in the faith. Assuming then that you will continue, then blank, this is what's going to happen. Those who know the truth, those who know the truth will continue in it. Whether it be, whether we call it perseverance of the saints, whether we call it the security of salvation, no matter where we think it might fall and whatever we might kind of delineate as an order of salvation or order salutis, we know that there is a truth in Scripture that if we have come to true saving faith in Jesus Christ, that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine through 30 says this, 
For whom he foreknew, for who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he says that if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you are actually been predestined upon a track to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ every day. Sanctification is happening in your life. Now, you know, we all know, we're honest with ourselves, we know there's many bumps along the road. We don't know at this side of eternity with a finite mind how in the world the infinite concept of God is sanctifying us, but yet we kind of have part in that in yielding to the truth of God's word each and every day, yielding to his word, yielding to obedience to his word, and we see these sort of ups and downs of our practical life day by day. But we know the absolute truth of scripture that is if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed, we've been reconciled to God, that we have been set on an upward trajectory of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Verse 30 says this, for moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, who he called, he also justified, who he justified, he also glorified. We've been set upon that track all the way until one day we might be glorified and we might again spend all of eternity in the unfiltered, glorious presence of our God. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, grounded and steadfast on what? Not just concepts, not just on the whims of, of life or the whims of whatever teaching as the Colossian believers were, were facing in this day, sort of the wind and waves of whatever heresy they were facing, but grounded and steadfast in the eternal word of God, not the latest fad or latest belief. Look at this picture here on the screen we're going to put up. You see, that's one of those, those really large construction cranes that has collapsed and fallen over. I think this one's in Russia, actually, and, and, and took off the, sheared off the side of a building. Look at that. Incredible. One of those huge construction cranes. Well, you know why this normally doesn't happen all of the time? It's because of this next picture. Look at this incredible foundation that they're laying. They're setting a foundation for one of these huge cranes. They're setting it in concrete. And you know the foundations of those, the anchors of those are set deep into the ground as well, and then they're wrapping concrete around it. So that's why that normally does not happen. In the same way, we do not face, and we do not kind of get swept one way or the other with the wind and waves, the fads and trends, beliefs, and, and just the sort of drivel that's coming out in society day after day because we are anchored to the Word of God. And that's why we're grounded and steadfast, not upon our own strength, but upon the strength of the eternal word of God. So, and that we are not, it says then, after grounded and steadfast and are not moved, not moved away. We are not tossed by those spiritual fads from the hope of the gospel which is in you. We are grounded, we're steadfast, we're not moved away from the hope of the gospel that's in you. Folks, the same sort of hope we had in the gospel, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, if you've surrendered your life unto Jesus, the same sort of hope you placed in the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, that same hope that you placed in the gospel is the same hope that continues to carry us throughout all of life. Because he says, and Paul said, that's the same hope that he has as he preached the whole of the gospel to all, to all the, to every creature. It's that wonderful picture, again, we, when we see in the first of Colossians here, and it's echoed in our passage as well, is that we see this cosmic setting. 
of that we're not just here by happenstance and chance, but that all of creation was, create, was created, spoken to existence of God, but yet it, fall, it fell into sin. Redemption has touched all of creation. It's taught, touched these Colossian believers. It touches our life. And that again, that gospel message is preached to all of the world. Paul said, of that, I have become a minister. I want to end like this, kind of almost right where we started. Again, it tells us that even though we were alienated and strangers because of our sin, we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we will continue to grow in that relationship with him. Since we are grounded and steadfast, we will continue to grow in that relationship with him until one day we will be presented completely holy. We are seen that way now. We will be, we will be presented to God holy and blameless all before him. That is the great message of the gospel. Paul said, of which I became a minister, of which he gave his life. So let's think about this. When we walk out of this room today, just as with Paul, he committed his life to the ministry of the gospel. Will you? Will you do the same? Let's pray. Oh, God, as we come again today, reflecting upon the great message of redemption, we pray that as we leave this place, we know that is the very thing that is the very thing that oftentimes we as believers rob ourselves of in living the abundant Christian life. That we don't take the risk that we need to. We don't speak with courage like we should. We don't have our hearts torn to the desperation of the lost like we should. And we miss our opportunity to be on mission with you, the great thing that, that, that gives vitality to the Christian life. And so God, may redemption not just be something that we put upon a shelf and admire for its for its, its own glory and greatness, but redemption, may it be something that drives us out into the streets to speak that great message to those that desperately need to hear it. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we talk about